So the title of today's message is Restoration and Recommissioning. And it's, it's a two-part message. Restoration and Recommissioning. It could have been Restoration, Repentance, and Recommissioning, but, but that's not what it is because quite honestly, Repentance is part of Restoration. So it's Restoration and Recommissioning. So I want to start off with a couple of ocean jokes because the story that we're going to be reading from John chapter 21 takes place on the beach, Jesus making breakfast for the disciples on the beach. So here's some ocean jokes. Why don't oysters give to charity? Because they're shellfish. (laughs) What did the Pacific Ocean say to the Atlantic Ocean? Nothing. It's an ocean, but it did wave. (laughs) And have you heard about the restaurant that caters exclusively to dolphins? It only has one customer, but at least it serves a purpose. That's it. That's it. That's, That's what I got. And now we find ourselves on the beach with Jesus making a fire, preparing breakfast for the disciples. So I want to bring us up to speed. Here's where we're at in this story that we're going to be in in John chapter 21. Jesus was crucified. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus remained in the tomb, and on the third day, he emerged victoriously from that tomb, and he lives. Jesus appeared to his disciples, and then he went away. He didn't go away as in the ascension. He just disappeared. He appeared to his disciples and his followers a second time. Then he went away. And now, in our story here from John chapter 21, we see that Jesus appears for the third time. This appearance of Jesus is after uh, Peter and the disciples, they're fishing. And Peter had said, I'm going fishing. And it's not like going fishing like, hey guys, you want to go to the movies? You want to go fishing? I don't know. Let's go fishing. Sweet. Let's go fishing. That's not what it was. It was Peter being disheartened and despondent at his betrayal of Christ. And even though he saw that Christ lived, because Peter betrayed Jesus three times. And even though now he has seen coming up on his third time. Even though he's seen Jesus is alive and that he conquered death, he still can't get past the fact that he betrayed Jesus. So by him saying, let's go fishing, what he's doing is going back to what he was comfortable with. What was familiar to him? What he did BC. What he did before Christ said, follow me. And we find ourselves at a fire, which is interesting because that's also, it's the second time that, that Peter has warmed, you know, had, we see that he had warmed himself at a fire. And we see Peter fishing, and this is the second time that we've seen Jesus commissioning Peter while he was fishing. So the disciples joined Peter. They're fishing. They see a guy on the shore. They don't recognize him. There's just these spiritual blinders on him. The guy on the shore says, cast your nets on the other side. 
they think that sounds really familiar because Jesus had already performed a miracle along these lines. So they do it. They catch the net on the other side. And they catch 153 large fish. And the nets don't break. And they pull it in. And then John's like, I think it's Jesus. So Peter jumps in the water and, and takes off. The rest of them you know, row to the shore and, and come in. And this is where we find our story right now. Peter in a place of, of shameful withdrawal. Hopeful. Hopeful place. But in shame nonetheless. So on this beach, Jesus does something very interesting. And some something that honestly, I think a, a lot of Christians would say, if I told you, in telling you what Jesus did, Christians would go, no, Jesus doesn't do that. No, Jesus wouldn't have done that. Jesus stirs up the past, confronts Peter with the shame of his past in order to give him a purpose for his future. Jesus does so not by quietly pulling Peter aside. He does it in a public setting with the rest of the disciples there. So Jesus begins with a very pointed question that thrusts him directly into confronting Peter's denial. And you guys, the public nature of this conversation is important. It's important to Peter. See, Jesus doesn't treat us like a bunch of, you know, paper dolls, like a bunch of cutouts, like a bunch of stamped figurines. There's nothing generic about the affection or the relationship or the identity that our God speaks over us. He knows where we're at. And Peter had publicly denied Jesus. And Jesus knows Peter. And Jesus cares about Peter. So Jesus meets Peter where he's at in every sense of the word. And so the confrontation is a public confrontation. So Jesus confronts Peter's denial, his failure, and now his withdrawal. Let's read from John chapter 21. So I'm going to kind of toggle on the first couple parts of, of verse 15. So it starts in verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, son of Jonas, do you really love me more than these? Unbelievable address. He goes straight to the heart of confrontation. You notice he didn't address Peter as Peter, my rock. How does he address him? The same way he addressed him when he first said to follow him. Peter, or Simon, son of John. Simon, son of Jonas. Not Peter the rock. In case you forget how Peter got that name in Matthew 16, in verse 13, we read this. We read how, how Peter got that, that, that name of honor from Jesus. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, okay, 
But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You see, Jesus hadn't yet announced this about himself. Jesus yet hadn't revealed this about himself. That's why he's asking, Who do you say I am? Peter knew the answer. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, or Simon, son of John, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven did. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Peter means rock. And the gates of hell will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of king uh, the, the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven now i really love this he's saying i will give you these keys and then whatever you bind will have been bound whatever you loose will have been loosed so he's talking about present tense following the future tense and then the past tense. I will give you these keys. Whatever you bind here in the present will have already been bound. It's just a powerful and also mind-blowing passage. So Peter, the rock, after his denial of Jesus and now here on the beach, I seriously doubt Peter wanted to be referred to as the rock. I seriously doubt Peter felt much like a rock. I seriously doubt he felt like he deserved these keys to the kingdom that Jesus said he'd give him. See, keys represent power. Keys represent authority. That's what they represent. And he's saying, I'm giving you a power and authority to the kingdom of heaven. I guarantee, I guarantee, there's no doubt Peter did not feel worthy of this. At that point, he didn't see himself as Peter the Rock, and he certainly didn't see himself as being worthy of having the church of Jesus Christ built upon him and his leadership. Right? So what does Jesus do? He meets him where he's at. Simon. Hey, let's just start over. Let's just start over. You ever, you ever want a do-over? Hey, can we just, I totally flubbed that. I totally, can we start over? I'm Mark. A lot of romantic comedies have that scene in it. You know, the, the guy's a total rockhead and he blows it with a girl. And then later on, he's like, can we, can we just start over? And he reintroduces himself. And she's like, oh, that's so sweet. This is, this is what Jesus is doing. Meeting him where he's at. More than anything, Peter knew that he had failed to live up to that name. So what does Jesus do? Did Jesus take that name away from him? No. No. The promise of God, the identity of God is still upon him, but Jesus is in relationship with Peter. Friends, we've got to look at this story, and we've got to apply this to our lives. Our God when we trust our lives in him, man, it's because he wants to be in relationship with us. And he knows us and he meets us where we're at. Jesus is facing Peter with Peter's own limitations. 
so that Peter might claim ownership to Christ's leadership in a new way, in an easier-to-receive way. You guys, Simon on his own will always just be Simon. He has no capacity to go beyond that. But Simon trusting in Jesus Christ is Peter the rock. And with Peter walking and leading and preaching in that identity from God, the church will receive its earliest foundation. Does that make sense? You guys, you and I, of our own strength, of our own authority, of our own power, will just be you and I. Truly limited. Our capacity, truly limited. But when we follow Christ, you guys, those limitations go. When we follow Christ and we identify ourselves in Christ and he gives us a new name and a new identity, we get to walk in a new capacity. We get to walk in a new strength, a new calling. We get restored by him. Let's go back to that John 21, verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, so we already covered that that part of this, do you really love me more than these? What is Jesus doing? Who are the more than these? As I point to the, the keyboards, it's not the keyboard. It's not the more than these. Who's the more than these that Jesus is referring to when he says, Simon Peter, do you really love me more than these? Who's he referring to? The disciples. He's referring to the disciples that were right there. Why is he doing that? Because Matthew 26 records that Jesus had made this comment. He said, because of me, all of you will fall away on my account. You'll do it tonight. That's what Jesus said. This night, on account of me, all of you will fall away. What does Peter say? Nuh-uh. Not me, Jesus. And then Peter says this. Though all of them will fall away, I will not. Man, I love the boldness. But what I don't love is the arrogance. I, I just don't know when it really pays off to call Jesus a liar. I just, I don't see that ending well. Though all of them fall away, I will not. Jesus then says, you will. In fact, you'll do it three times before the rooster crows. So now Jesus says, Simon Peter, do you really love me more than these? Holy moly, you guys. Talk about pointed. Talk about Jesus getting straight to the point of confrontation. Right? Let's, hey, let's pick up where we were. You denied me. We all know you denied me. They all know you denied me. You said you wouldn't, you did. And now you're withdrawing. And now you've lost hope. And now you're back to fish. And now you're back to being Simon Peter when I've called you to be Peter the Rock. See, now you're back to the things you're familiar with. But you know what? I've brought you into a new family. This is what you should be familiar with. And Jesus comes straight to the heart of it, guys. We need to understand tonight, Jesus is okay with us at times being in pain. 
Because change doesn't take place usually without pain. You've got to understand, Jesus is really okay with us being uncomfortable. Nowhere in the Bible does it talk, even though he's our comforter, he's not our comfortabler. I don't know. He's okay with us being uncomfortable because you know what? There's times he's trying to move us. He's trying to press us. He's trying to get us to move on. And we see here, even at times when he's really doing something personal with us, we, what we see here is he's even okay with us embarrassing us a little bit. He knows what's gonna, what's, what it's going to take to get us to move to action. He's not shaming Peter, but he is. He is in the point of recalling him back unto himself. Letting there be restoration. And what he is doing is bringing Peter to a point of repentance. In replying, Peter doesn't, he doesn't acknowledge the, do you love me more than these? Peter's response is as what we could expect. It's quite, it's quite humble because he's been humbled in a way that you and I never have. I know that we've all been humbled in ways. You guys, we've never been humbled in this way. And, and Peter's response is very humble. Peter said to Jesus at the end of the second part of verse 15, Peter said to Jesus, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. You know what's interesting? And, and, and I'm going to go ahead and say this now so that we can look for it as we study this throughout the week. Even though we're going to have the themes of repentance, we're going to have the themes of restoration, I don't believe repentance takes place in John chapter 21 at all. I believe repentance really doesn't take place until sometime between then and Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. I believe that the repentance takes place at some point in the waiting before God in that upper room. But we look at Peter's behavior in this, and Peter's behavior in this still shows a ton of stinking immaturity. It really does. He's still immature, impulsive, and Jesus correcting Peter. Because Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with a fullness, an unconditionality? Do you love me with a sacrificial love? And even here, Peter he kind of corrects Jesus. Oh, Lord, I, I phileo you. I, I love you with, with a brotherly love. But he's also being very honest with where he's at. I love you with what I'm capable of right now. And also, he knows his actions. Right now, Peter's defining himself by his past actions. Uh, clearly, I don't agape you, Lord, because my actions have shown I don't agape you. So I, I can't say I do. See, Peter's still defined by his sin. Friends, God wants us to no longer be defined by our weakest moments, by our most sinful moment. We're not to be defined by our sin and our, and our failure and our shame. We're to, we're to be defined by sonship. This is my son, whom I love, in him I'm well pleased. And he says that to you, and he says that to me, and he says that to, to sons that are male, and he says it to sons who are daughters. He says it to those who trust in him. And that is how we get our identification. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then tend to my, lamb, to my lambs. So this question is asked twice more. It's asked this way, hey, do you, do you truly love me? 
And that's in verse 16. And then verse 17, Jesus asks us again, Do you love me? Each time that Peter answers, Jesus commissions Peter with respect to the advancement of the kingdom of God. He answers Peter in respect to the growing of the church. Peter's personal question of do you love me is answered with something that takes the focus off of Peter and onto the bigger picture. Then tend to my church. Then lead my church. Then care for my church. This is a young church. We, I don't even know if this is the point where we even call it the New Testament church yet. Because normally we call it the New Testament church after Jesus has ascended. But this is a young church. And he cares about his young church. And you guys, he cares about, about this young church. He cares about us. He always cares about his church. So let's read that full passage now. So 15 through 17. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. You guys, the true significance of this event is in the restoration and the recommissioning that Jesus has on Peter after he had publicly denied Jesus. I made mention to it earlier the last time that we see in Scripture that Peter was warming himself at a fire was right before his denial. It says that Peter was warming himself at a charcoal fire and others came and, and a young girl said, hey, you're one of his followers, aren't you? They said, no, you're mistaken. No, I've seen you with him. No, it wasn't me. Hey, guys, I know this is one of his followers. It's not me. I don't know him. That's what took place last time he was at the fire. Now he's at the fire once again. And Jesus is offering restoration and recommissioning. I don't think it's very often that Jesus reminds us of our failure because we know the heart of God. But knowing the heart of God, I promise you this, in in, in Jesus going out to to seek and save those that are lost, he's going to do it by any means necessary. And if it means us walking through a painful season, you know what? Then he's going to let us walk through a painful season because very rarely do we make a change, 
especially a change that requires a surrendering of all, that really doesn't happen without a pain point most often. In my life, it happened with a pain point. And knowing the testimonies of many in this church, it happened at a pain point. How could Jesus just remind him of his failure like that? And I'll tell you why right now. I will tell you this vital truth. Repentance was needed in Peter's life. Repentance was needed. And friends, let's not be mistaken. Repentance is needed in our life. There needs to be agreements with us and God and what God says about us and the plan that God says he has for us. There's got to be agreement and there's got to be a rethinking and that's what repentance is. It's a rethinking that brings to agreement with God and not agreement to ourselves. Why did he call him uh, Simon, son of John? Because that's how Peter saw himself because he had lost agreement with the identity that God had for him. And you guys, we've got to look at the bigger picture here. This is not just about Peter. This is not. And it's not just about us. It is not. This is about the advancement of his church. And he needed strong leaders. He knew. I mean, this is resurrected Jesus. He knew his ascension's coming. He's gone. To grab a seat at the right hand of the Father and say, it is finished. Man, it's done. Holy Spirit, empower them to advance this church. Jesus cares about his church. He cares about his church. This is about his church. I need leaders that are willing to believe what I have to say about them and not believe what their worst moment was to find them. That's what this is about. That's what this is about. It's about restoration into God's plan. It's about a recommissioning to pick up and say, yes, Lord, I I will serve you and I will follow you and I will be used by you. Before Jesus can be followed and served by any of us, the sin in our lives has to be addressed. You guys, Jesus is insistent upon this. And it's right here. And if if this is your church home, you know we preach Jesus and grace and love all the time. But the reality of sin is this. It's not tolerated. A price had to be paid for it. and, And it's not tolerated as a part of holiness. To come into his holiness... We've got to say no to sin. We've got to walk away to sin. We've got to agree with him. Are we going to sin? Yes. And as often as we sin, we walk away from sin. As often as we sin, we walk away from sin. We develop a pattern of sin in our life. We walk away from that pattern. And as often as we do, we're forgiven. As often as we do, there's grace. But the bottom line is we do not allow sin in our lives. I'm just going to allow little sin. Baby rattlesnakes are more poisonous than adult rattlesnakes from what I've heard. I'm not going to allow a baby rattlesnake just because it's a little sin. I've got to walk away from sin every time, church. We've got to walk away from sin every time. Hebrews 12, 14 says this. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We don't see the Lord without holiness, guys. And it's not about our holiness. Let's be, it's not about our holiness. It's about agreement with Jesus. It's about agreement with Jesus, but it is about us going towards him and walking away from sin. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Peter needed to fully grasp this principle of repentance. Peter needed to grasp 
the need for repentance. You know why he needed to grasp it? Because in a little while, he's going to preach the most phenomenal sermon of his life to thousands. And repentance is going to be a key theme in this sermon. See, after the, on the day of Pentecost, when, when thousands upon thousands were gathered together, and those who waited upon the Lord in the upper room were baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, there then became an audience of people at first mocking, oh, these men must be drunk. First mocking, but an audience nonetheless. An audience nonetheless. And it's in that, his most famous sermon, he was anointed and repentance was a key theme. After Jesus ascends and the Holy Spirit descends and empowers, Jesus sees thousands trust their lives in Jesus in a single moment. Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through 38 says this, Therefore, let all the house of this, this is Peter, this is Peter preaching. This is that sermon. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, made Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to their heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What do we have to do to be saved? What should we do? And what does Peter say? Repent. Repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You guys, do we want a relationship with God? Do we want something more than just religious tokenism? Do we want a relationship with Him? A relationship with Jesus begins when we are in His presence, when we face up to all those things that grieve Him, to all those things that contradict God's holy will in our lives. And we repent, regardless of the cost. That's when our relationship with Jesus begins. We repent, and then we receive. We receive his grace. We receive his life. We receive a new identity. You guys, we, we receive, but first we what? First we what? This isn't a trick question. I, I, it's, we, we repent. There's freedom in it, guys. There is no freedom without, without first repentance. No matter how horrible our failure, or no matter how deep-rooted our shame, Jesus can forgive us and restore us and commission us or, in some cases, recommission us into his service. You guys, we need to remember this. Failure is never final with God. Ever. Ever. We've got, we've got the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony that bears witness to that. Failure is never final with Jesus Christ. We always have hope in our risen Savior. You guys, do we want to be used by God? It begins with repentance. There's an amazing quote. I, I just think it's so cool. There's a woman, her name was Rita Snowden. She was a missionary. She was an author. 
she was just a woman of God, and she had this to say about forgiveness. You ask me what forgiveness means? It is the wonder of being trusted again by God in the place where I disgraced him. The experience of being forgiven clears the way for our service to Jesus. Peter restored is Peter recommissioned. You guys, there's no relationship without repentance. And God can't commission us to his service without a heart of repentance. And I said it before, Jesus' concern here is not just for Peter's welfare and self-confidence through restoration. But he had you and I in mind. He had his church in mind. God always sees the bigger picture. Friends, we, we need to strive to have eyes to see his bigger picture as well. If we make this about us or our self-confidence or our, our, our purpose, or if we just make that about us, which I'm not, I'm not downplaying, man. That's, that's key, guys. Purpose is key. Purpose is huge. I want to know what my purpose is. You know, confidence and boldness. Confidence in the Lord is, is key. Man, it's huge. But if we make it just about that, we're missing it. Because it's not, gifts aren't given to us for our sake and to keep to ourselves. Gifts are given to us to be used for others. Amen. To represent Jesus and to advance the kingdom. Jesus still knows. Jesus still knows that committed leaders are needed to advance his kingdom. So Peter's directed to the work of Jesus. Do you love me? Peter's directed to God's work. Feed my lambs, lead my sheep, take care of my sheep. Following Jesus means taking responsibility for his people. And I just, I got to let you know, it's without a doubt, that is a, that is a part of my call as an elder here at Impact Rock Church. Without a doubt, that is a part of their call. Of Kara and Kendra and Brad and Kim and Andy in order. That's part of our call, okay? But it's not just limited to us. There is a call to all of us to take care of the people of God. There's a call to all of us. This doesn't just rest, man, we're really in trouble if it just rests on us. We really are. But it's not. It's, it's, it's to all of us. Commitment to Christ involves commitment to his church. You guys, uh, I, I'm not making this up when I say the primary vehicle that God chose to advance the kingdom of God is the church. It's the church. Commitment to Christ is a commitment to his church. And, and we need to keep this in mind. Jesus is not single. Jesus is not a single dude. Greg's, Greg's a single dude. I don't know why. Because that guy is handsome and smart and funny and talented and rich. Everyone listening online, he's so rich. All right. He's only kind of rich. Jesus isn't single. Jesus isn't a single dude. He's married. He's got a bride. And he cares about his bride. And his bride is his church. And you know what? You can't be my friend if you don't give a flip about my wife. That's the honest truth. I don't need you. 
I, I just, you can't be my friend. If you don't care about my wife and kids, you ain't my friends. And I'm a flawed dude. You guys, we can't say we love Christ and not give a flip about his church, about his bride. Does that make sense? Ephesians 5.25 says this, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and did what? Gave himself up. He died for her. He loves her. What he did was for her. We are her. They are her. There's a big her. There's hers that need to be brought in. That need to be cared for. Guys, there's no relationship in Christ while ignoring or despising his bride. It's okay. I, I Be you. You be you and I'm going to be me. But when I find people that are like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I just don't go to church. I'm like, why? Well, you know, I just, I, I just get tired of church people. I've been hurt by church people. They're such hypocrites and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, then you don't love Jesus, man. Not according to the word of God. You can't love Jesus and hate his bride. As a matter of fact, you're in dangerous territory. I'm going to talk to you later because I don't want to get hit by lightning. He didn't really do that, but, you know. It's true. You can't hate his bride and love him, guys. It's, it's, it's an acceptance. And although Jesus is fully loving on Peter and restoring him back, and even though Jesus is, is recommissioning Peter, the bigger picture he sees there is his church. Genuine conversion to Christ means not only turning to and accepting Jesus, but it means to turning to and accepting his bride, the church. Even if his bride is filthy. Even if his bride is unfaithful. Even if his bride is flawed. Even if his bride has hurt you. church is still his bride. The church is still the people that he was sent for. The Father sent Jesus. Jesus was obedient to the Father in this, but the Father sent Jesus so there would be no barriers, so that we could be reconciled with him. The church is still the people who Jesus died for. So needless to say, guys, the church will always be a concern for Jesus. The church will always be a concern for Jesus, guys. So he speaks his word to, they, to those today. He speaks his word to those who will hear it. He speaks this word to you and I who say, I love you, Lord. And d- during this adoration and singing part of our service, we sing, we love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. And to those who say, we love you, Lord, he says this, tend to and feed my little lambs. Shepherd and lovingly govern my sheep. Tend to and lead my needy sheep. Jesus called Peter to undo his denial three times. Because Jesus met Peter where he's at. 
It was very, it was very intimate, you guys. It was very personal, and it was very specific to Peter. It really was. If you wonder why he did what he did, because he cared so much about Peter. He met him where he was at, and it was very specific to Peter. And you guys, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is no less personal and no less specific with us. He will meet us where we're at, and we can be honest with him, and we can be vulnerable with him, and we can say, I think I love you, but Lord, clearly I don't because I know what my actions were, and so I like you. Lord, I like you a lot. I mean, whatever it is, there wasn't rejection at his answer. There was the speaking of destiny with every answer. Then be a part of what I'm doing. Do you love me? Then be a part of what I'm doing. Do you love me? Then be a part of what I'm doing and caring for others. barrier of failure and sin has to be removed for us to move into the things of God. And they're removed by repentance and agreement with God. This is a story of God's grace. Repentance is a story of God's grace. Repentance is the demonstration of God's grace. He doesn't ask us to run laps. Anyone here sinned? 50 laps. That's not what he's asking. He's saying, turn from it and turn to me. Turn from your sin and turn to my holiness. But don't bring it with you. Don't bring it with you. There's no, you, there's no room for that in my presence. Turn from it and turn to me. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, we see in that same sermon, Peter once again comes back to repentance and he says this, therefore repent and return. Restoration, right? Restoration, right? Recommissioning, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Oh, that's what this, honestly, guys, that's a really good description of what I think church is. It's a time of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. We walk into this place and it's a time of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. I love it. And in this place, we can, we can first repent and return so that we can be fully refreshed. You don't want to be reminded of your sin? Turn from it and be reminded of his love. And as I said before, this isn't just about Peter. This is about us. But it's not just about us. It's also about his church. Jesus said this, greater love, and this is in John chapter 15, greater love has no one than this that one laid down his life for his friends. And then he says this, this is totally radical. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Greater love has no one than this that he laid his life down for his friends. And you're my friends if you do what I command you. And what I command you to do to show that you love me is to lead my sheep, is to care for my church, is to advance my kingdom. The job of the elders at this church is not to feed mature Christians. One of the jobs of the elders of this church is to feed young Christians who can't yet feed themselves. But the job of the elders at this church is not to feed mature Christians because there's got to be a point when you start feeding yourself and start feeding others. We're going to talk about that next week.
that's going to be our message next week as we talk about the ways to practically do what's, what the Lord has commanded us to do. We're going to look at the definitions of what those words are. We're going to keep in mind that, you know, to hold a baby and, you know, to feed a baby, that's a really intimate thing. But we're not talking about babies. We're talking about sheep where we guide them to a pasture, where we guide them to a place that's healthy, where we pull them back because we see something they don't see, where we see storm or where we see danger or threats or wolves or something. And that, my friends, is all part of feeding. We'll talk about those things next week. But in between now and then, here's what I ask you guys to do. Let's turn from those things that bind us. Let's turn to a loving God. Let's receive his restoration. Let's receive his recommissioning. And man, let's not make it about ourselves. I'm, I'm usually nice. I'm, I'm usually much softer than this. But there's times when the Lord says, bring this message, I bring this message. And friends, we got to stop making this about us. We got to stop making this about us. It's not about us.